Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Carlos Hawthorne and I'm a staff writer at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Johannes Goller, a man who arguably knows more than anyone about the dark art of promoting parties in Ibiza. For the past 17 years, he's helped Sven Vath run Kakuna Amnesia, the pioneering residency that introduced a harder, deeper strain of techno to the White Isle in 1999. Under Gola's guidance and with the help of DJs like Richie Horton and Ricardo Villalobos, Cocoon grew from an outlier night playing weird music into one of the best known house and techno events on the planet, a reputation it still holds today. At the tail end of the party's 18th season, I visited Gola at Cocoon's leafy Ibiza HQ for a candid conversation about the island's glorious past and its more challenging present. You can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Johannes Goller is up next. I read that you're from a family of butchers, is that right? My grand-grandfather opened a business in 1932 and in 2000 I decided to um, not take over the family business and uh, going to Ibiza instead for one season. And this was the deal that I made with my father because I promised him when I come back after the season that I'm becoming a teacher. Right, so you, you, you said that you wouldn't become a butcher and you would change to be a teacher. Um, yes, a teacher for butchers because we have the dual system in Germany, which means when you when you decide which direction you want to take, you have a three-year period where you have to work three days in the factory or in the, in the butcher shop, and then two days you go to school. And for this school, they need teachers who know what they are talking about. So this was the idea. And how did he feel about you not taking over the business? Um, in the beginning, he was uh, shocked because it meant that uh, we're gonna have to sell it but um, he soon realized that uh, it was the right decision because it was 99 was with the BSE cry with the med cow disease which really affected our our business at home it was the time before the EU standards came in we had our our shop in a small village and to fulfill all these new regulations we would have had to invest as big amount of money and just to get this money back in would have meant like uh, working 30 years non-stop and uh, I just said no that I'm 24 years old now and I really don't want to have this back on my shoulders for the next whoever knows many years. 
And uh, so he said, like, okay, and this is your decision, this is your life, and I support you with uh, whatever you want to do. So which part of Germany are you from? I'm coming from uh, Heringen, which is a very small village, uh, 180 kilometers north of Frankfurt. And uh, it was very close to the former German border, just 300 meters away, basically. So it was a really, really remote area. And uh, we were really happy that back in the days we had uh, a good radio signal where I was able to listening to like the Saturday night radio shows that came from Frankfurt. And uh, this was also the first time where I heard Sven Fade playing uh, techno music. Wow, so you um, were you going out much at that time? Um, yes, we were going almost every weekend to a club in Kassel. It was called Stammheim. No, first it was called uh, Stammheim. No, it was called um, Aufschwung Ost. And then they changed the owners and then it was called Stammheim. And this was the, the Saturday uh, party. And at the same period, Sven had his club Omen in Frankfurt, which was the Friday night. So we were choosing like, hey, should we go Frankfurt tonight or should we go tomorrow to Kassel? And both meant one and a half hours on the highway just to get there. And so Sven was, he was the biggest DJ kind of in the area at the time. He was the most well-known. Yes, it was like in the beginning of the 90s and mid 90s. And it was also the time where the, where the wall came down. So the border that I was living next to was suddenly not there anymore and there was like a huge playground like there were suddenly like techno parties in cities like Erfurt, Gera, Jena, Leipzig and uh, also going to Berlin was not so complicated anymore and uh, this was the big time of uh, the German techno revolution movement yeah but it wasn't something that you thought you would dedicate your life to no no. I mean, I was always the one in our little village that was organizing uh, the parties, the Christmas parties, the birthday parties. You know, if there was a, a typical day like 1st of May where we all gathered and made big barbecues, you know, it was always me who, who was like, okay, let's do something, let's do something, let's organize, let's build. And, and, uh, but I never had the idea of uh, becoming a, a promoter and to, to, that this becomes my profession. I mean, I guess that wasn't such a possibility back then it wasn't the industry wasn't so developed no it wasn't and I was really into my family business as I said before I made my master so I was really taking it serious and uh, I loved it until the point where I really had to like decide about the future and so you said to your father I'm going to Ibiza just for a year for a summer I mean my dad brought me my family they brought me to Ibiza for the first time in 1988 and uh, I fell in love immediately. And uh, the next year, I was 13 years old. And the year after, they asked me again, I said, hey, where should we go? And I said, hey, we go to Ibiza, of course. So we went for like three years. And then I was 16 and I made my own money. And I didn't have to ask anymore. So with my first money, I booked a flight and I came to Ibiza, uh, 10 days, jet apartments, not much sleep, came home, lost 10 kilos. Um, yeah, this was... An, uh, <laughs> the, the early years I came back ever since what did Ibiza kind of represent to, to Germans back then to Germany I mean it was I mean with 13 14 15 you know it was just like for me the excitement to be on an island holidays beach beautiful girls uh, 
the music, the lifestyle, I mean, just Ibiza, the vibration, all the colorful people from all over the world, everyone in holidays, enjoying life. And uh, I mean, just back in the days, just going to, to, to Daltvilla or just to hang in the, in the port where all the, the people came, you know, to do their parades and to, to have some drinks before they were going to the discotheques where I was not allowed to go in. You know, just to see this was like, was like being in a cinema. It was like a complete new world to me. So when you were 16, you didn't actually go to any of the clubs? No, with 13, 14, 15 not, but with 16, of course. And uh, but we were going maybe twice to Amnesia. We were going to Kiss back in the days, Playa de Bossa, where it was pretty easy to get in. But there was also electronic music. And uh, we went to space a couple of the mornings and uh, Bora Bora, of course. Yeah, there, there were places to party. So how did you go from, you know, punter to, to establishing that relationship with Cocoon? I met Sven's manager, Talida, in 1997, and we became friends. We were always hanging when we, we came to Ibiza together. We spent the weekends together. We had fun, you know, and, and, and with this, I, I got closer to Sven and uh, the whole family back in the days. And in 99, I said to her, like, oh, look, you know, I think there's a change coming in my life. And she knew that it was my dream since many years to once spend a summer in Ibiza. And then she asked me and said, like, hey, Johannes, you know, next year we want to do, like, the season. And, you know, I trust you. And uh, why don't you go and, and just spend the summer there, you know, live your dream. And uh, I can't tell you what you have to do. Just go there and be there and help wherever help is needed. And I said, like, this is a cool idea. So I did some research, found an apartment, jumped in the car and uh, came to Ibiza, not really knowing what to expect and what's waiting for me, because there was no, like, you do this or you do that. It was just like, go. So that was the year 2000. Cocoon started in 99, that's right? Yes. So, I mean, what did the party look like when you got there? It was running every week? I was here also for the first two parties in 99. And uh, I was giving out flyers on the beach just to be on the guest list. We arrived at Amnesia. There were maybe 800 people. And... Half of them were all friends from Frankfurt, Cologne and Berlin, like really people that we knew. And uh, there were some Spanish and the party started at three or four because back in the days, the people like went, they went to the clubs much later than it is today and the clubs were open until nine, ten. So it was a very intimate German crowd and uh, the party was very intense. Sven and Richie were playing in the main room and it was Ricardo and Atta on the terrace. The terrace was kind of like not really happening and uh, the 800 people, they were mainly in the main room and uh, they were partying as we were used to party in Germany. And so in that first year, did it run every week? No, we had uh, four Mondays. It was two in July and two in August. I didn't go to the two parties in August because I just didn't have the time. And then after the season, Sven uh, took the decision to do the full season in 2000. And from this point on, they were looking like for a team to, uh, 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 yeah, to make it happen. And so what were some of your duties that first summer? 
Oh, the duties. Uh, picking up the flyers at the printer, picking up the DJs at the airport, uh, going from A to B to C to D to sort out things. I was just, I was just doing everything, you know. I mean, I've known you for a couple of years now, and I feel like you still kind of do all that stuff. Thanks God, we have now a much bigger team that, than back in the days, and I don't need to do uh, any, not everything myself. I'm in a in a happy position to to delegate and uh, to tell people what to do and uh, but of course if there is a need I'm uh, I don't say like no I'm not doing this anymore I mean of course if there's a need I'm there you like kind of being involved in all the aspects and making yes sure I'm I'm a doer I, I like to do things and I, I like to work and I, I like to be active and to move around rather than going to the beach and chill so in those first few summers I mean how um, what was Sven's role in everything Sven's role, I mean, Sven is the, the father figure behind the whole cocoon idea, philosophy, the concept. And of course, he was the one that said like, hey, I want to play with these DJs and I would like to invite this DJ and I think on the terrace we should do this sound and maybe we should like give the, the terrace to some German house clubs who are, who maybe get better deals than we would and uh, they couldn't can build their brand or can give their brand a platform in Ibiza. And Sven was basically giving the direction uh, for everything. I mean, we had in, in, in Cocoon, in Frankfurt, uh, an office with like 15 people. You know, we had the Cocoon booking agency, it was the Cocoon event agency and uh, the back office. The, the record label came in 2000. 2000 or 2001 too. So with this professional people with experiences plus Sven on top, it was for me easy to find my way and to, to find myself in the whole business concept. What did those first years look like in terms of the reception from the crowd? Because, you know, Cocoon was offering something very different. Yeah, techno back in the days really had no big platform here in Ibiza. It was all like very commercial. It was the British, they were dominating it still. And uh, that was also one of the reasons why Sven said, hey, look, if I don't do something myself, I kind of like don't find myself represented in Ibiza in the right way. I mean, there were always promoters asking him, but, you know, then for him playing for Cream, for example, or for parties at Space in the morning on a, on a Tuesday or on a Thursday morning, it just didn't feel right for him anymore. Yeah, and Richie Horton made the same experiences, uh, and uh, they were just talking about it. So Sven took the chance and the risk and took the Monday at uh, Amnesia because I think the Monday was closed back in the days and on the other side of the street was a menu mission at Privilege with 15,000 people every Monday so a lot of people were saying like are you nuts you really want to do the Monday Monday is all about all about privilege it's all about menu mission you know you won't see any people on your dance floor and in the beginning it was a tough one we mainly had I would say like 60 70% of our guests were Germans and uh, the rest were Spanish and locals because also back in the days in Spain there was like a, a techno scene much more than in Italy and uh, uh, in England we had like mainly Germans and Spanish in the first two years yeah, and and uh, yeah, as you know 
Ricardo was uh, a very important part from the whole concept since the beginning and with with then with his success on the terrace you know his the minimal music started and and in 2003 and 4 suddenly Cocoon became like uh, the people more and more talked about and said like, hey, this is not just like a German techno party, you know, there is really something happening new. You know, Sven's music was was still much faster than it is today. And, and Ricardo's dreamy house after our sounds suddenly became really uh, popular and recognized. It became more and more international. And then and the Italians came, then the Spanish came, then the English came. And I remember in, in 2004, we had, we had a closing where we had 80 or 90 DJs on the guest list. So from, from DJ Rush to Carl Cox to uh, uh, Mr. C and name them. And suddenly they were all coming, checking out like, hey, what's, what's cooking there? You know, this was this was the big turning point of Cocoon. So similarly, there was nowhere to listen to the kind of music that Ricardo was playing. No, Ricardo. Ricardo was uh, he had a residency at uh, Cocoon, and I remember in 2000 he also played at Satrincha. At Satrincha on a Tuesday, he always had this late afternoon slot where we all met and uh, and then gathered you know for some drinks it wasn't an after party it was more like a beach hanging lounging having sangria another party has started in 99 Loco, um at dc10 and you know over the years not only do you guys share the monday you've shared a lot of the same djs um a lot of similar sounds both were pushing you know music that didn't exist in Ibiza before, kind of, they may be going for something a bit kind of more groovier, you guys are doing a different thing. Can you just kind of tell me a little bit about that relationship and how it's kind of developed over the years? I mean, as I went to DC10 for the first time was of course a Monday. They opened at eight in the morning. So the routine was space, space close to terrace. Then we all went to Jockey Club, which is now Blue Marlin in, in Cala Yondal. We partied there all night until the morning hours, then DC 10. So eight o'clock DC 10, it was basically a dark hole with a, with a, with a snooker table in, in where's now the VIP. There was a snooker table. There were some rotten mattresses on the floor. There was still the airplane on top of the entrance and the terrace was basically a fifth of the size that it is just now. The DJ booth was right in the corner. And after like noon or one, two, three, when I wasn't there anymore, but this was then the time where Tanya Vulcano started playing because before the music was uh, only inside. And as I said, it was dark. It was an after hour and the music was quite dark. You know, that, uh, who was there? Chirillo, Joe Mills. It was pretty like, it wasn't the, the dreamy, melodic, what you think, what it w could have been. No, it was pretty full on. And the people there, I also have to say, it was a bit scary sometimes. <laughs> But uh, this changed over the years. I think the, the only constant that, they, that is still there is Tanya Vulcano. And uh, I think she means as much to DC10 and Circo Loco as uh, Ricardo does for Cocoon. 
you know, Sidcoloco changed from, from starting in the morning to it now starts at 4 p.m. Classically, you would go to Sidcoloco and then, you know, I've done it many times myself and then you'd carry on to Cocoon. Sidcoloco now finishes at 6 a.m. I mean, is there, is there a dialogue between the two parties? Um, there is no direct contact, and um, if we if we talk about like um, the DJs, I talk to the agents, and then the agents talk to uh, Andrea and Antonio, and uh, other way around is the same. And uh, there is no direct uh, uh, contact. I mean, we all have a, a mutual respect for each other. It's a, it's a bit of a shame that uh, the the time that their opening times have uh, shifted into the night. But uh, it was kind of like forced from the authorities because they were not allowed to open at 8 o'clock anymore. And uh, yeah, with these new regulations, they had to face uh, the new situation. And of course, uh, if they open at 4 and they had 12 hours of business beforehand, uh, they want to have at least this 12 hours so then it's kind of like a natural thing that they moved into into the night i mean it must have been beneficial though that um you know when it finished at three four that people would be out partying and then they'd you know they'd go to cocoon as the kind of i think i think when you when you see it from of the uh, from the clubber perspective it is a real shame that we are now both in the night because it was as you know yourself uh kind of an amazing Monday routine to, to go to Circo Loco at four or five o'clock. And uh, I don't want to say a warm up because it's, it was a proper party. And uh, they had their headliners uh, playing from uh, seven, eight, nine, ten until midnight and they closed the terrace. They continued in the, in the main room or in their club room inside, however they call it, uh, uh, until two, three. And then uh, latest at three o'clock, uh, all people who partied there and had a great time they came to cocoon and uh, they continued there until like eight nine in the morning i mean this was probably the most fun time when i look back i mean sometimes we had some some people uh coming to amnesia where we had to say like hey dude maybe better you go home because it's it's enough but uh still when i look back uh fun times how have the kind of earlier closing times the kind of strict 6 30 cutoff how has that impacted cocoon the good thing about this is that uh, the people they come much earlier i mean in the last uh, yeah basically the whole season we had uh, both dance floors full at uh, two o'clock and uh, 10 years ago, it was sometimes 3, 3.30 till the people came. So the people come much earlier. It's, it's much nicer for the DJ who start the night because we don't invite so many DJs. You know, we try to give the DJs a bit more time, just more than 60 minutes and 90 minutes like this festival sets. And um, I mean, of course, for a DJ, if he plays uh, three hours and it's okay to warm up for, for one hour and then for two hours you have a nice atmosphere and a connection with the dance floor. It's important. Yeah, that's one of the great things is being able to watch like Dixon or Seth, you know, take the take it from a, from 12 till 3 and there not may be many people there. They can play different records and, you know, situations. Absolutely. I haven't heard from anyone that we invited who said like, no, I'm not playing this lot. They all said like, yeah, of course, of course. They, they, they are looking forward to it. So when was it that Amnesia, that the Terrace changed the Amnesia? Ooh, good question. I think it was 2008 or 9, where 
amnesia changed the terrace. I mean, they just basically took the DJ booth, the old DJ booth away. They added a little bit to the VIP area and they they built a new DJ booth at the at the far end of the club. So basically the perspective of, of the DJ changed. Ricardo is still talking of the tube because before it was just like the garden with the palm trees and with the sound system with the limiter, which was always very traumatic. And the DJs enjoyed playing for it, but it was always a little bit like, you know, you, you could go to a certain point, but not further. And uh, it took a lot of experience for the DJs to like handle the limiter because it was really not uh, comfortable. And back in the days, the main room was the real main room. I mean, the party was in the main room. Uh, the DJ booth was still up, was connected with the balcony. And uh, also there they did a change. But uh, I think the old, the old DJ booth, which was much better for the room itself, you know, the way how it is set, dance floor, VIP DJ booth. The new setting is okay, but I preferred the old one. But um, back to the question, I think it was 2008 where they changed the terrace. So the terrace was kind of like a, it was, you know, very much a second room. Like, yes. And it was, and that Villalobos was always in there. Yes. Right. I mean, when they do these kind of structural changes to the clubs, would they, would they ever consult you? Or? Amnesia sent uh, the sound guy once to a cocoon club in Frankfurt. Uh, uh, just to see how we did it with the DJ booth because um, Amnesia wanted to build a DJ booth, you know, just a small one where the, where the light and the video, the VJs and the LJs are next to the DJ as it was before and as it still is in the main room. And we told them like, make, make the DJ booth a bit like not so wide, but more, put it more into the dance floor and put the VJs and the LJs behind the DJ leave the the the, the DJ uh, uh, the DJ booth for the DJs. So this was a thing where where we were talking about it, but uh, all the rest was done uh, uh, by the club itself. So you say about 2004 when Ricardo started playing regularly. That's when kind of Cocoon kind of took off. He was a resident since since 99. Right. But this was where the sound became more like, in the beginning, the Amnesia stuff, they came to us and said like, hey, can you please stop this music? We can't sell drinks. And we said like, no, no, no. And back in the days, it happened that Ricardo played some classic music, you know, and uh, the, the, the workers in Amnesia, they didn't get it. They hated it. For them, it was the worst day to work, especially on the terrace. And said, oh, this German sound is so like, we, no, it's, it's not like nobody is dancing and nobody puts their hands up in the air. And back in the days, it was super commercial. It was progressive and, and every DJ played the same tracks and there was this Ibiza anthems and you had to play them to make the people happy. But no, not at Cocoon. And it was, it was also a process for the people working in Amnesia to understand that Cocoon is different. I mean, the people who work for the club how interested are they in, you know, the kind of cultural offering of the party? Or is it just the numbers that, 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 that drives them? Now, the people who run the club, um, they uh, are definitely interested in making money. <laughs> and uh, they are trying to find a balance that uh, guarantees that. One year they do it better, one year less. But of course, when you are talking about Cocoon, Martin Junior was the one who made the approach to Sven and asked him like, hey Sven, 
do you want to do your own night here in Ibiza? I can offer you amnesia on a Monday. And uh, so uh, Marte is uh, still a big fan of Cocoon and uh, he supports us as much as he can. And he's a DJ himself and he uh, has a lot of understanding when it comes to music and the culture of partying. Because this is also a very important thing, you know, uh, throwing a party, putting a DJ and uh, it's, it's not so easy as it is. Cocoon has an identity and uh, when you come to our parties, you can feel that. It is, it is the energy and uh, the vibration that we have on our dance floor is still unique. Do you think that only comes from time? It comes from time. It develops over time. Over the time, the people, they trust us because we are not uh, experimenting. You know, our lineups are solid. And uh, it doesn't matter if it is Sven, Richie, Adam, Ilario, Nina Kravitz. You know, you always know you go to Cocoon. You're going to listen to great music and you're going to find like-minded people who are on Ibiza or living in Ibiza or coming to Ibiza as tourists and they know why they are there. And it's not like, uh, I mean, there, there are some touristic spots here on the island where it is much easier to fill a club because you have uh, uh, hundreds uh, of hotels uh, uh, next door. But if you do a party in Amnesia, you need to make the party, you need to make the people go to Amnesia. They wouldn't go if it wouldn't be for Cocoon. This is what makes a big difference. I mean, pushing this kind of totally different sound that wasn't on the island before, was Cocoon bringing just a different kind of clubber to Ibiza that, that, that hadn't known about it before? Yes. Um, the people from all over the world who were into the music, they knew when we go to Ibiza, the only day where we can listen to this music is the Monday. You know, Monday afternoon, DC 10, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Cocoon Amnesia, and if you are like, if you know someone, there was maybe like the possibility to listen to your favorite DJs somewhere on a beach uh, all Tuesday long. And so the people back in the days who came to Ibiza for this music, they came for Cocoon, they came for Sven, they came for exactly that, what we were setting up there. Um, you mentioned the after hours there. It's always been a big part of the cocoon identity. Yes. Um, was that from the very beginning? Yes. Um, I would say we invented after parties in Ibiza. I mean, I remember the very first one in 1999. We did an after party at uh, a place called Particular at um, Cala Yondal. And there, unfortunately, the place is closed since like 15 years. No one knows why. But this was the first Cocoon after party and I remember Sven playing there. It was a small, tiny DJ booth and we were all hanging in hammocks. There were maybe 50, 60, 70 people. And uh, this was the first one in 2000 as we started. Yeah, we were lucky enough to find some little treasure beach, hidden beaches who were not like on the hidden path. Yeah, we managed to set up some crazy things. So I guess you kind of... You know, as well as running a, a club night, you start running after parties and you, yes. you your job kind of doubles overnight. Yes, this was like a triple shift <laughs> for almost every uh, week that we did. You know, famously, the kind of police now are starting to crack down on these kind of things. I would imagine it's become harder to do the after hours. Yes, um, the law changed, not in our benefit. 
the parties became as well uh, very, very popular. And uh, I mean, our first after party at uh, Sestagnol, I think we were 80 people. But mouth to mouth, just friends. And uh, we were all sitting there hanging, Sven playing for 12 hours. And uh, uh, yeah, I knew everyone by name. The guy who owned it or who, who run it said like, oh, yeah, you can come back, not knowing what he's saying. And I think three or four years later, uh, it was the, the, the day where we had 4,000 people there. And uh, the police, they couldn't come by cars anymore. They came by boat and they wanted to talk to me. And I said like, hey, yeah. I said like, hey don't stop the party. Because when you stop the party now, then there will be a chaos. I mean, the, the people that parked from Sestagnol down to Talamanca, where the football stadium was. You know, the people, they were walking for two hours. And uh, uh, they said, like, hey, do me a favor. You stop the party at eight, so that it's still daylight, so that everybody can find their car. We are just trying to, like, not create a chaos here. But this was the last time that you did a party here. And, uh, yes. Unfortunately, they were right. <laughs> do you feel like the police were, I mean, separate to the laws, do you feel like the police were more kind of lenient and understanding? Of course, in the day? of course, of course, because uh, they are all, uh, we are talking about 2003, 4, 5, they were all locals. And when they came, they knew people, family members who were on the dance floor looking at them like a shift, you know, we're having a party here. It was, became harder and harder for the, for the, places itself to take the risk to do it because they they were threatened that the license will 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 be taken and so on and now it is happening in private villas you know you have to you need to to find someone who's willing to host it in the best case it's the owner of the villa and not the person who just rents it from someone because If you have a villa, no one has the right to tell you you're not allowed to throw a party as long as you don't disturb the neighbors. And uh, this is what it is now about. You know, find, an, find the right villa and to, to throw a party. So let's kind of move to the late 2000s. You know, Ricardo, Richie, but then you also have Loco Dice, Luciano, Marco Carola, um, big DJs that had big followings and were kind of, you know, many would say that they had their best years at Cocoon. And then you know, their profile started to grow. Could you ever conceive that they would go off and start their own parties? I mean, Cocoon is, or one of the ideas of Sven with Cocoon was to build and create a platform for younger artists to develop themselves. And uh, with this huge success of Cocoon in Ibiza, it was clear that one day the, the day will come where we can't accommodate Loco Dice, Ricardo Villalobos, Luciano, Marco Carola, even Chris Liebing, Luciano, you know, they, they just, their profile just became too big to keep them all under one roof in Ibiza. I mean, the other clubs, they are not blind, you know, they, they, they knew like, hey, that's what's cooking there at Cocoon every, every Monday, 7,000 people, uh, uh, and, uh, Yeah, the offers, they were on the table, I think, like already years before the first one left. But none of them really had the, the structure to take on their own night. And uh, it took a while till uh, the first one like uh, uh, took the risk. I mean, Luciano was the first one, but Luciano was never like uh, 
seen as the cocoon uh, resident. He was he was much more uh, the DC10 resident, the Circle Logo resident. But um, he found his team, he took the chance, he moved to Pasha, and it was a success from year one. And of course, this uh, generated a kind of like, uh, like, oh, look, it worked. So maybe we should also, you know, and then the offers get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the day came where then uh, 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 Richie called us and said like, hey guys, appreciate everything friendship and what we achieved over the last years but I have this concept I have this idea and I have an offer and I'm considering of taking it I'm on the way now to Ibiza to have a meeting and I, you're the first ones to know this was uh, the way how Richie did it as a friend does it but uh, not everyone was so like open and honest and uh, suddenly we found uh, one of our residents uh, starting his own night in amnesia and without telling us and this was not so nice, but uh, this is the time. And uh, uh, like we now all know that uh, it worked for some, but it didn't work for, for all of them because um, you can't have the same people going out every day in Ibiza, paying the entrance, paying the drinks, having fun. It is their choosing. And uh, I think that's, that's what they did. And... Uh, some stayed, some not. Was Marco Carola's night music on? Was that the first time that Cocoon had had kind of direct musical competition at Amnesia? We were, back in the days, we were thinking like, oh, maybe let's do some special events in Ibiza. And uh, the Friday was, uh, there was nothing happening in Amnesia and they didn't know what to do. There was not a regular night. And then Swain came up with the idea and said like, hey, why don't we invite Underworld and we make a party called, uh, we party like 1988 or 89. And uh, so we invited Mr. C, Josh Wink, Swain himself, Underworld Live to play like a, a classic acid set. And it was on a Friday and it was like a huge success in Underworld for the first time in 20 years. Uh, uh, Inibisa, Mr. C went on stage and they performed the uh, uh, Move Any Mountains together and uh, this Shaman classics. And I think at this point, Amnesia might have realized like, ah, oh, there is maybe a possibility to do uh, another night that is non-commercial. And then the year after, they invited Richie to do, uh, was it a minus showcase? I think it was a minor showcase or a plastic man show, I don't know. So kind of like there, they already like realized like, mm -hmm, okay. And then they offered uh, the Friday to Marco. Yeah. So, you know, 2012, suddenly Marco Ricci have their own nights. A year later, Loco Dice starts his own party. Suddenly Cocoon is competing, you know, against its own children almost, you know. I mean... 2013 was my first summer here, and then I did 2014 as well. I would say, say that maybe those two seasons were some of the most difficult for Cocoon. I mean, would you agree? Yes, definitely agree. Because um, the new nights, you know, the people, they're always up for, tr for trying new nights. New nights, they create competition. And uh, it kind of like diluted the the scene that was like, coming together on a Monday, you know, the, the, the Dice followers, the Carola followers, the Villa Lobos followers, the Fate followers, the, name them all. They all found their home 
on a Monday in uh, in Amnesia. And now we realized, like, hey, the the Marco Carola, the Italians, they are going now on the Friday. Then there are the Dice people. They they went to Ushuaia, and uh, it kind of like, of course, numbers went down. It was uh, uh, very challenging, and uh, it also changed. Uh, let's say, the financial dynamics, of course. Yeah, I think it took us, like, exactly those two years to, like, bring the boat back into, like, stable waters. You know, as we said, like, yeah, we sailed through the storm thanks to the to, to the loyalty of Ricardo and, of course, this amazing, uh, um, yeah, how you say, like, you know, Sven never disappoints and he's always on form, on top of his game. And, you know, to have those two rocks like standing strong and still and performing and and uh, pushing it forward, you know, this was the key of the success and uh, uh, why we are still here, why we have many of the, the, the DJs who tried their own things coming back, just talking about Richie. Ricardo was never tempted? No. It'd be funny to see him running a party in Ibiza. I think he knows that uh, it's for him maybe more enjoyable to come to Cocoon and to know that there are the friends who are taking care of everything and uh, giving him the best spot possible without having to face or to, uh, to have the weight of a own night on your shoulder because it's big. Yeah, as you say, you know, it's a huge it's a huge demand on a DJ. You know, it's not just turn up every week and play. You have to be a promoter. Richie was doing promo events every week and you have to really, really be there. And I mean, especially in Richie's case, I mean, the time and effort that he spent to to bring this enter onto the the surface and to the to the Ibiza party scene, I mean, this was really really big i mean he he was the promoter he was the the sake barman he was the dj he was the host i mean he was every day everywhere promoting his night promoting his sake uh, uh, i mean so many things that that never really like in terms of promotion that i've never seen in ibiza that anyone ever put so much time as the main dj in himself and uh, this is uh, time-consuming and it is also very exhausting, especially on a Thursday night when you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, festival gigs and so on. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. So 2017, we're sitting here. It's end of August, 18th season of Cocoon. I mean, how are you, how are you feeling this September starting? What's the kind of mood now? As many know, uh, September is the favorite month of all the Ibiza veterans of the locals because the August is all, always very intense, very full on. It's extremely hot. The island is extremely full. Everybody's working to the max. There's a lot of stress in the air. And uh, the locals normally, they don't go out so much in, uh, in, in, in August. But already last Monday, we could see, it was the 28th of August, we could see uh, that uh, they are willing to go out again. And uh, last Monday with uh, Ricardo, Luciano, Adam, Rotatini and uh, Sonia Mona, we had maybe one of the best parties of the season in Amnesia. It was 
the whole island was there and it, it was a lot of fun and this is what makes uh, September so special you know the people who really know they come in September well this is the interesting thing isn't it because yes Marco's still there but now actually yeah there is no Richie Luciano's doing a few things Loco Dice isn't here oh Loco Dice is doing hype but it's a kind of separate thing Kukuni's back has its kind of position back again yes that's uh, the feeling that we all have and uh, already as we announced the lineup there was like a huge uh, media response and uh, i think for the for the 18th season um, i mean not many can say that they turned 18 in ibiza and uh, with a new campaign with a new look with a very very strong lineup without compromising i think cocoon is back and uh, better than uh, ever before i'm interested in how you know, you build the season. Like, how soon after the closing party in October do you start thinking about the next season? Before the season is after the season, after the season is before the season. This is like, now in, the, uh, now in 2017 and also in the last years, it is a thing that I'm working on all year round. Right. You know, there was a time in 2007, 2008, I met Sven in Thailand. It was January, February, and we sat down and we said, like, who, oh, whom should we invite? And uh, yeah, two weeks later, lineup was done. But this is not happening anymore. So uh, we are already, like, talking to, of course, the, the headliners. And uh, Sven's dates are more or less set. Then I'm um, talking with Ricardo, like his six, seven gigs, you know. And of course, I ask Sven, Ricardo, with whom do they want to play? And then kind of like it falls into its place, kind of like on its own. You know, there's Adam with his gigs. And, and you know, we set the headliners. We talk about like new talents and uh, new producers. And, and then uh, we are, yeah, it's like putting a puzzle together. But uh, the most important thing is, of course, like uh, having the deals right with the headliners. And then... Uh, Does Sven okays every booking, every artist that plays? Yes. Um, I'm in, in constant exchange with Sven. We're talking every day. He comes up with ideas and I come up with some ideas. And then uh, we are talking about like uh, with whom he wants to play because he also has his favorites. And then uh, we are trying to put the puzzle together, yeah. How much attention do you pay to what's going on in the rest of the island? A lot, because it's part of my job. And uh, I also think I was to almost every party at least once this summer, because it's also important for me to see with my own eyes and with my own, uh, to experience it by myself and not just like to listen to the street, because uh, sometimes they have a different point of view. But uh, I think it's very important to 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 see what the others are doing and to know what's uh, how the parties are working, how the vibe is, what kind of people go, and, uh, and I think it's part of the part of the homeworks that you have to do when you're a promoter in Ibiza. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are diverse. I have to say I haven't seen much that really like impressed me there's some really nice things happening now daytime especially on a sunday i really like the vibe at the events that they are doing now at las dalias this asset sundays because it's island people it's a fresh party it's like happening in the north in a new venue and, and i think they're doing a good job there you know i'm doing cocoon since 18 years and uh, i have to say especially this year 
I'm having such a great time at our own parties and I'm enjoying it so much because the parties are just amazing. You know, we have, uh, we are always, always, uh, checking, uh, uh, the nationalities. And, uh, in the last weeks, we had like between 60 and 70 different nationalities coming to our parties and, uh, from all over Europe, like, from almost every single country in South America, North America, people coming from Asia, from Australia, from New Zealand, and uh, uh, plus the people who come every week, the locals, and it's 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 just so much fun. The party is just right. There's a good feeling. There's a good vibe, and uh, uh, I have to say, <laughs> I'm enjoying the season a lot. Well, it's interesting that you know Cocoon started with a very kind of a, either a local crowd or a kind of crowd of Germans, who a lot of them who knew each other. But now you're attracting people from 70 different countries, and still you're maintaining that kind of same same vibe. Yeah, that's uh, exactly how it is, and I know exactly where our friends uh, are on the dance floor who are like living in Ibiza. I, I know where the groups are. So I, I always go there and spend some time with them on the dance floor. And when when they are having a good time, then I know that the party is right, you know, and and uh, they are they are very honest and they, they can also be very critical. I mean, they come every Monday, you know, and uh, when they say this was particularly good then uh, it's most of the time they are right you know i imagine that running a party in ibiza has changed a lot over the years i mean what are the kind of most difficult things about it in 20 in this season in particular <laughs> to tell the djs to stop the music at seven o'clock <laughs> you know the terrace has the magic when the when the day breaks when the sun comes up and uh, now end of august you know It's kind of like still not really, really daylight at seven o'clock. And uh, especially the DJs who were playing for us since years and they were used to like close at like eight, eight thirty nine and to have the terrace, these magic hours when the sun comes in and the light changes and the atmosphere changes and the music changes and everybody is just becoming like one you know those were the magic moments and sometimes to tell the djs like hey it's seven o'clock and they said hey the sun is not in I said, yeah sorry but uh, nothing we can do i think this is a challenging moment and it's also very bitter for like uh the yeah, party's over you know there's a kind of a lot of talk and a few things being written about a kind of the the local locals from the politicians to the to the people a kind of You know, there's this growing kind of anti-tourism sentiment and people are just a little bit tired of the disruption that the season causes. I mean, do you think there's any truth in that? Yeah, I want to I wanna hear them all when the tourists are not coming and they don't rent their villas anymore and they are not buying their vegetables anymore and they are not, uh, uh, I mean, come on, it's a tourist island and uh, the main industry is the tourism and somehow the locals, they are all benefiting from it and uh, i think this is like complaining on a very very high level i don't uh, give too much about this um. you know some people say that the kind of growth in vip culture and um, certain kind of nightclubs and stuff attracts a different crowd that maybe isn't as disruptive that is moving the island towards a kind of you know more luxurious tourism where where there's not so many you know drunk and disorderly ravers it's a it's a kind of easier thing for the locals to deal with The future will tell. It uh, 2017 is definitely a year where 
things have shifted a little bit towards the, the weekends. Um, the people, they don't spend a week or two weeks anymore on the island. Uh, there's a, I don't want to say the majority, but there are much more people coming for the weekends. So the island feels different from Friday, Saturday, Sunday than it is uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's, that's a fact. And uh, all hotels, they can confirm this, that uh, the occupancy on the weekend is much higher than during the week. So it is. this goes for the restaurants, this goes for the clubs, this goes for everyone who does business here on the island. And uh, this is a fact that has shifted. I don't know if this more on the weekend and less on the in the in the in the midweek if this is balancing the financial uh, uh, situation out or not but um, it's happening I mean that's interesting because you would think you know with people talk about Croatia and festivals and these are kind of you know alternatives to Ibiza now but actually you know most festivals happen on the weekend actually Ibiza is I mean not only is it busier in general but the weekends are actually the strongest time I haven't been uh, off the island uh, uh, this summer so often, but uh, I know from Sven that uh, all over Europe that there are more festivals than ever. And uh, we can also see here in Ibiza that uh, compared to the previous years, that there are less clubbers on the island and uh, this uh, affects all the discotheques. There is not just one discotheque that is affected by it. I think uh, uh, they are all feeling and realizing it. But when I talk to uh, friends of mine who are doing festivals in Croatia and Germany and England, uh, they are all facing the same situation. They are all selling less tickets. And uh, they are selling less tickets to the young people who come for the dance floor. Uh, the VIP situation in, B in Ibiza became even uh, a higher value because um, there are some clubs who are really like uh, focusing on this clientele because yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's easier to sell a table for 5,000 euros than selling uh, 100 tickets for 50 euros. And uh, I understand that, this, uh, that there are some clubs who are focusing on this. But in our case, it's it's not, you know, Cocoon was never a VIP party. There is a VIP and is frequented, but uh, it's not our focus. You know, we are focusing on the dance floor. We want to deliver like a good party. And if there's a VIP, cool. If not, also cool. Yeah, you mentioned there, there are kind of less clubbers on the island. And I was speaking to friends that said that a lot of the workers, kind of... Um particular kind of British workers live in San Antonio. There aren't so many of them anymore. I mean, you said yourself in a, in a talk at IMS earlier this year, you said Ibiza needs to protect the working class. I mean, I don't know if you can expand on what you meant, what you're referring to there. The people who come here uh, to spend the season, they need to live somewhere. And uh, living space is rare. Prices, they went up uh, in, a, in a dramatic way in the last two, three years. And when you come to Ibiza and you have a job where you maybe earn 1,500 euros, but you have to pay like 1,000 euros for a room in an apartment, which you have to share with like five others, then you have 500 euros left to spend. This is getting out of proportion. You know, there are friends of mine, they open new restaurants and hotels, and uh, they would love to hire uh, staff 
but uh, they, 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 they can't offer them accommodation, so they don't get the trained stuff they need to operate their clubs and uh, not clubs, uh, restaurants and hotels on the level they should. That's the problem because if the working class, if the people who come here to work and to make a living and also to enjoy the island, if they don't have enough money to pay rent and to enjoy the island, uh, then maybe it's better just to go somewhere else. Well, I mean, something has to change, right? Like, what's going to happen? Something has to change. I think they, uh, the government needs uh, 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 to come up with a, with, a, with a conclusion and with ideas because it can't be that uh, house owners or, or people who own an apartment that they just can double the rent uh, from one year to the other. I mean, in Germany, we have laws that, that allows you to put the rent up 3% and uh, uh, something like this needs to happen here. Because uh, uh, if this continues, then sooner or later, uh, no one can afford to come to Ibiza, live here, work here, and be here. You know, it's 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 not it's out of proportion. Do you think the clubs have any responsibility to, you know, to act to maybe lower ticket prices or lower the drinks prices or bottles of water? Of course. I mean, uh, uh, selling a water for 12 euros, in my opinion, is, al is almost a crime. It's not fair. You know, the, the clubs, they need the people. And uh, the Spanish mentality says like, okay, uh, we are selling less drinks, so we have to put the price up. And this is their thinking, you know. Well, I would say like, hey, half the price and you sell double and you have a better party. Because, you know, we all like to go out and if you have like uh, 50 euros in your pocket and you have to think like, mm, do I order now uh, four water or three beer? Like, mm, that is not fun. And uh, uh, I hope that the day will come and that they will realize like, hey, um, things have to change. You know, there's an interesting thing there where you're kind of, you know, you run the party at a club like Amnesia. Amnesia is like all the clubs in Ibiza, the drinks are very expensive. Um, but as a promoter, you don't put the drink prices, it must be frustrating. You know, you must you must have people say to you, why are the drinks so expensive? Or... Since 1999, we were trying to convince uh, the people behind Amnesia to like lower the prices and to have at least a drink of the night and if it is the water. And, uh, but there is no chance, no chance, no chance. Do you think a greater culture of greed exists in Ibiza today than 5, 10, 15 years ago? I think everywhere in the world. Money becomes more important to the people. And when you see what's happening in the world, it is quite obvious that uh, the richer get rich and the poorer get poor. You know, you started off as a fan and then you started working with Sven. Where, does kind of, where are the boundaries between the personal and the professional with him, you and him? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, basically, I think there there is no boundary. Is uh, by the time now over all the years we became very very close friends. I was I was touring with Sven for thirteen years uh, before the Ibiza season started. So we were like for five months on tour for thirteen years, and um, I'm also the godfather of uh, his son Tiger. So. Um, there's a really, really strong bond between us. We're really good friends. We are family. We share a lot of time together, and uh, yeah, it's a special, special relation. 
Do you think Cocoon could carry on without Sven? No. The question is not if, if, if Cocoon could carry on with Sven. Sven doesn't have one thought about like retiring. So I think as long as Sven is uh, behind the decks, there will always be a Cocoon. And uh, like Sven and Cocoon is like one. Sven is Cocoon, Cocoon is Sven. And, and there are no signs of retiring. So uh, just finally, you know, I don't think there's probably no one in the world who's seen him DJ as many times as you have. What is it that makes him the DJ he is? He has an incredible talent to um, put records together or songs, tracks together in a way that they can tell a story. This is like like a, like a journey. And I saw people playing the same track, but it feels different. So he has an ability to channel the energy from the dance floor with the energy from the music with the energy of the location. Sven on the beach, Sven in a club, Sven at a festival is all, is all different and it is unique. And uh, he is able to like bring all these ingredients together as one. And as longer he plays, as more he creates this particular feeling. I said sometimes I, I watch him, you know, and he, he's just turning around and he puts one record on after the other, sometimes even without looking at them. And it just makes all sense. <laughs> 